Um, I had messaged Brendan about this, uh, you know, maybe a few weeks or months ago too, but I find that it's actually pretty important for me to uh, give a load number or like a, assign a TSS to my weight sessions um, because it, it does, you know, it's a very real uh, fatigue that builds up. And, you know, if you're not accounting for that throughout the season, um, you might look at your TSS or your, your CTL or whatever it is, whatever metric you're looking at and think that you're doing less when maybe you're substituting some of your bike intensity for weight intensity. Um, so figuring out a way to give yourself a, a reasonable number to track that is like an important thing that really doesn't have an answer. You know, there's, there's no, there's no formal, um, way of tracking that. And I'm, I'm a bit surprised every time I look into it, you know, all the forums and everyone just says, Oh, it's impossible. TSS has, it's a heart rate based thing. Um, but I, you know, I, I basically assign an arbitrary number. And then some of these, these guests that show up on Brendan's podcast also, you know, Ashton Lambie will just assign a number, you know, just so that he can account for it, even if it's not the most accurate. Um, but it, it definitely factors into your, your chronic fatigue. Dude, that's really good. I want to read a couple comments that popped up in the chat regarding this, um, regarding the riding for, or riding on endurance days, or do you ride on heavy days? Uh, excuse me, lifting, you know, lifting on the heavy day or lifting on the endurance day. Um, Matt, who said, Hey, I'm at work. I can't talk, but I move my sessions from on an easy day to an afternoon after hard morning rides with easy or non interval rides the next day. And my overall fatigue was better since now I have easier days when not pairing them with lifting. And Jennifer kind of echoed the same sentiment which is one thing that has come up. People, uh, There's a couple, I should have made it a cat four question. People were like, Hey, what happens if I start lifting on endurance days? Now am I having too many intense sessions per week? And it does become really hard to gauge, even though we can put a TSS score to it. What are we really doing to our bodies over the long term? And the, my other comment to this is the eight hour separation would be really hard, especially if someone's on like a high volume plan, because I've tried riding and lifting and I was like, this doesn't feel safe. And granted, though, I was doing an endurance ride at the you know lowest duration was three hours. Sometimes it's four hours. So to ride, even if I left at six and came home at 10, eight hours later is 6 p.m. There's no way I'm going to lift heavy at 6 p.m. Um, so athletes would have to consider their riding volume also. And yeah, uh, James, that was really good. I appreciate you chiming in on that. What other questions or ideas or, sh or sharing the experience people have out there? I have a, I have a question. So I don't lift anymore. I did for a very long time, but I don't for a bunch of reasons, but I'm pretty interested in the idea of cycling economy. So I was hoping that either Patrick or somebody um, who can share more information than I have can speak on this because I'm wondering if this, is that in reference more to a muscle group aspect or a muscle fiber aspect because it would make a lot of sense to me if you're referring to like improving your cycling economy by enabling yourself to use say your glutes if you don't have good glute activation like it's really clear if you're quad or hamstring dominant um why you know you'd be at a disadvantage versus someone who is utilizing all three of those muscle groups um during you know a time trial or a really long road race but in terms of muscle fiber, I'm a little bit 
more confused if that's what that was in reference to, just because from my understanding, um, most lifting is going to be utilizing like type two X fibers and tapping into like ATP CP energy system. And I don't really understand how that would like transcend into efficiency into like the lower um, energy systems. So I'm interested in the idea, but I just like want to know more about like what's going on under the hood. Yeah, sure. Um, so I did not, uh, when I initially kind of started a couple years ago, looking into this, I found a couple studies that um, it's, it's about uh, motor unit recruitment. So, you know, as you, especially if you're focusing on low rep, high weight and building and building strength, as opposed to building muscle that you're getting uh, more recruitment and therefore less fatiguing. So like at the same workload, your body is going to be at a lower, at a lower cost. And, and so what they found in this study was that power at VO two max and, and ability to hold threshold power in particular, both went up, even though there was no ventilatory in- increase, there was no gain um, from like a, a aerobic aspect. It was just the lower metabolic cost. And that's kind of what they are referring to as cycling economy. Um, and I'll, I'll try to find uh, I, I, that original article and, um, and share it at some point. Um, and then, you know, when it comes to, you know, quads versus glutes versus hamstrings, that's about, you know, that's about finding the balance between, um, you know, we're not ever going to be applying force in an ideal position. You're in a cycling position. So that's why you see, you know, there's, there's a difference between stiffness and, uh, being able to, being able to handle, uh, handle pressure, apply pressure to the pedals, uh, in a, in a compromised position. So, you know, that's where you, you see Sagan has create, you know, that video everybody's probably seen where he's like doing crazy flexibility stuff where he's not really holding a ton of weight, but he's, he's uh, increasing his capacity to, uh, to work in compromised positions. And I think there's a lot to be gained there for me. Like I found that if I can get into a really deep squat and, and I can, I can get my body really fired on and turned on that way that I, I get on a bike and it's all of a sudden like my knees are further out, you know, like if you do band exercises before you get on, get on a bike, like you'll notice like, wow, my, you know, maybe you're, I'm VMO dominant, which is kind of not common. So my knees tend to go in a little bit. I have large VMO, but weaker outer quads. But if I do some of these glute activations, I notice my knees are getting further away from the top two and I'm getting better quad activation. I'm, I'm VMO and I have actually strong glutes. So, I mean, does that sort of answer the question? It's, it's really about, it's about um, the electrical signal that you're training. And that's why I, I'm all about trying to really gain that strength versus trying to put on muscle by doing, doing higher reps. And then, I, I mean, the, the movements that you do, especially as you're getting closer and closer to in season, should be more reflective of what your pedaling style is going to be, whether you're a sprinter or trying to focus on the time trial or going to climb exclusively out of the saddle, you can make and adapt changes in your program to, to better reflect that. Gotcha. So the biomechanics side of that, 
I think. I mean, it's all biomechanics, but like specifically like muscle groups and, and um, pedal stroke like that makes sense. Um, with what you're talking about with the VO2 power, but at no greater cost, are you basically saying in the study, they were, the participants were producing their quote unquote VO2 power, but at like a lower respiratory exchange rate. So like they weren't necessarily hitting one, whereas before for the same power, they would have hit one, but it was the consensus this. was because of strength training. Sorry, I'm just trying to understand. I'm trying yeah, to incentivize yeah. myself to lift. Totally. I don't, I don't feel incentivized to lift. Um, so that's why I'm, I'm asking that. Yeah, it, it was, it was the, the same, they were the subjects, I, th I believe, and I'll, I'll, I'll Google this and find it really quick, but the subjects were doing the same ventilatory threshold, but putting out greater power. And then a, a similar study found that they could hold, they didn't increase their threshold power, but they increased their ability to hold that power. So their TTE went up. Um, all right, let me, let me just do a quick Google and I'll let y'all continue. Sam, can you share, um, do you mind sharing what your, so Sam is a powerhouse and he comes from the rowing world and he's focused on uh, nationals time trial in June. And correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, I was thinking you didn't want to lift because of the COVID and the gym being in Boston. Are there other things um, or maybe share your history of lifting from if you guys were doing yeah. that? Yeah, totally. I mean, number one is definitely like COVID. Like if I was, and it kind of ties into number two too, but like it was going to be really difficult time-wise to facilitate getting to the gym. And I think it all comes back to my personal like training hierarchy of needs. Like I, in the past, like over a decade plus of, of rowing training, I found, and many other athletes I know, found lifting to be like non-deterministic outputs for like results, like, you know, putting out huge weight, um, but not actually getting faster. Um, and so I think that for myself and a lot of other people that I've trained with, there is not a huge incentive to put the time in to lift heavy when you could be doing other things. And then for me personally, like most other people training, like I have a pretty demanding job and I'm training a ton of hours and facilitating getting myself to and from a place where I can lift three times a week is just to me personally, not, not worth it. And so I'm definitely interested in lifting again, but like the, the ancillary benefit, like the, um, injury prevention, for example, um, is not as important to me just because I've, I've never been injured on the, on the bike I, and it could happen, but like rowing injuries and, and cycling injuries very different. Um, and so a lot of the lifting for rowing was injury prevention because you need to have supporting muscles protecting, say, your rib area because broken ribs are very common. That's not an issue in cycling, et cetera. So in my experience, the, the, like physiologically, I didn't see a lot of results over a long time for me lifting. And so there just wasn't the incentive there to go out of my way to do it. And so now I'm trying to educate myself a little bit further and understand deeper why I might want to just because like, I'm always interested in, you know, trying different things out to get faster. So. I wonder yeah. if it's even benefit. Sorry, Patrick. I wonder if it's even bene beneficial for him to start with like 
the band work and the small things that we're talking about that you wouldn't have to go to a gym to do. Like, do you ever, do you do like glute bridges and clamshells and that type of stuff? Yeah, I do. I do a lot actually just, just, and, and I would kind of, I guess you could call it, I don't know, plyometrics or something, but I group that in with like core work or, and and then I further group that in with stretching just because like, for example, I know that I need a lot of glute power for the time trial position that I'm trying to develop. Um, and it's a lot easier for me to, um, recruit that muscle group if I do say glute bridges immediately before getting on the time trial bike. Mm-hmm. But, um, so I, I do do that stuff. I'm, I'm thinking more like, you know, your, your classic deadlifting and, and swatting or, um, whatever, what have you. So given that you do have a history in lifting, probably that's just not a limiter for you. You have enough muscle mass for the task. Your limiter lies somewhere else. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I did find those two studies and it, one was, uh, one was actually pointing out that VO two max did not go up, but, uh, ability to hold set, I think the power is, is what went up below, below threshold. Um, but you know, like for you, given your, uh, uh, your goal is the time trial. Like you're probably not running into uh, a limiter in terms of, you know, motor recruitment. It, that's just not the issue for you. It might be somewhere else. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's what my thinking was too. Um, I'll probably end up revisiting this with Brendan in the fall, just like postmortem on, on 2021 and, and into the next year, but interesting. Thanks. My quick comment on that that is very timely is when we're when you said, "Hey, I didn't do eight hours for uh, Unbound because it was thirty six and raining." That's a great day for the gym. <laughs> so, yeah, well, but then I went back. I went back out. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. I see James Walsh down there, who is a huge lifter. And uh, I, if you can talk at work, if you could throw some thoughts in here, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, I'm here. I'm not really working, so. <laughs> I was supposed to be riding, but it's like 35 degrees and about to snow. So awesome here. Um, yeah, I just, I found like, I mean, I've been lifting for over 10 years, so it's just always been part of the stuff that I do. But I noticed like when I stop personally, I don't know if it's like being 43 years old that I definitely am not as strong on the bike for me personally. Like, but I lift year round too. Like I don't, I'm at the point now of lifting for so long where I really don't get sore or really notice the, that it's taking away from my riding and about the whole like eight hours in between sessions. I don't think that's like, like Brendan's talking about, like that's not realistic for like a, a working athlete either. Like I know for me, like there's no way I'm going to get up at like 6am, get on the bike and then lift at four it's easier for me to like knock out a trainer session in the morning and then maybe like lift at lunchtime or, and then I think of that too, like you're getting more rest in too. If you're like bookending your day with two sessions, like you're like, you're going to be like more tired and sore in the morning. So I, I'm, I don't put too much thought because to me, I like my training, like, especially in Colorado, like this time of year is like all opportunistic, like as far as when I can get outside. So I, I like I've lift on high intensity days, endurance days, back and forth. Cause it's like, I'll move my schedule around so I can get outside as much as I can with the weather this time of year. So, but I keep my lifting days consistent. So I have at least like three days. Like I usually try to lift right now, like, or I guess two full days, like Tuesdays and Fridays, like two days a week. And then that seems to work good for me. 
Um, because if I like move those, start moving those days around and there's like one day in between lifting, then like that's where I noticed where like the lifting is just not as good, but like coupling it with, you know, like high intensity work on the bike or endurance work or the only day I won't really lift is like on a recovery day, like because that doesn't really like make too much sense to me. And if I was going to do anything, maybe I would like lift in the morning and then do like a super easy spin later in the day, just kind of like flush out the legs or whatever from from the lifting in the morning but yeah i don't know like i start racing like this weekend like a 200k race in kansas um but i still plan on like lifting this week and i kind of like transition to like from october to march is like lifting two times a week super heavy like squat deadlift all that now i'm doing just like one day a week heavy and i've kind of like i started just doing like the hex bar deadlift on my heavy day because it's kind of like kind of like a combo squat and deadlift movement. It's like super athletic movement. Like a lot of like, like, I don't know, pro ball sports athletes do a lot of that kind of stuff. It's just like, and it's like, you're not going as deep as on this regular normal squat. And then you're also not like stressing like your lower back and stuff as much as maybe like a traditional deadlift, but you can still lift really heavy. And I find like I can lift really heavy at the hex bar and not have it like tear me up, like as much as like traditional deadlift or like super heavy squats. But it's also weird, like new people to lifting, like it for sure is going to take away from your cycling, right? Like, but I think once you've done it for so long, like you stop getting like really sore where it's like, it just, I mean, when you're that kind of sore, like it sucks to get on your bike. It even sucks to sit on the saddle. Like it's just feel, you feel uncomfortable. Like, and it's so, like generating any power then is like hard, but it also depends on like, what your overall goal is too. like mine's not just to be like a cyclist, right? It's like biggest thing, like lifting for other reasons too, like the health side and longevity. And, and I don't get injured either. Like I've been even with running and endurance sports for like 15 years, like I just don't get injured. And like, maybe that's because I've lifted the whole time. Like, I don't know, but like no soft tissue, anything. I just, yeah, my keep, at 43, like I said, keep getting stronger on the bike. So like, I'm going to keep doing it. And it is like measurable. I know there's some like quantitative, like TSS or anything, but like, if you can say like, when you had these really good races, your build up to that, you were like squatting this amount of weight, like in that, like you can kind of measure it there. Like just as overall strength, how strong you were. It's not like FTP. Like he said, I had a good race. My FTP was 350 or it's kind of the same thing. You'd be like, I, yeah, up right before then I was squatting, you know, 220 pounds, five times, you know, like you can kind of like, that could be kind of quantitative there, just how strong you are. And so, and I think like longer gravel stuff, I like, I like the word like fatigue resistance and that's where lifting comes in for me. I think when it comes specifically to cycling is that the time under the bar and lifting heavy, just like, it's kind of like, riding endurance all day long, right? Constant tension on the pedals. So that's my thought. We'll see how it goes. I'm racing like three times in four weeks, so. <laughs> well, I love it. That's one of the pearls that just stuck out there for people that struggle with understanding what it means to like train through a B event. You're still lifting because sometimes people who are, you know, focusing on maybe they have, you know, let's say five big races and they have a race come up and they get, they get that feeling of like, Oh, but I have a race. I need to like ease up. It's like, okay, well are you going for this race or are you still trying to build towards the bigger race? And like, Oh yeah. Okay. Good point. I'm going to go back to the gym or 
A lot of good comments in there, James. We got a question that Jennifer brought up, um, and we can circle back to this. I just don't want to forget about this one. Um, what do people think about muscle cramping during hard efforts or racing? You know, she saw a girl this weekend having to get off the bike on the last lap. Her legs were cramping so hard. Um, she had mentioned how she experienced this after a week of not stretching or doing the strength training. Um, what do you guys think of, you know, we are getting Jennifer, if you can uh, chime in on this too, was it warm? Was it one of the first hot races? Do you think heat had anything to do with it? Or what do people think about the muscular side and cramping? Um, maybe that is like when we're talking about the glute bridges, the, when your quad cramps, it's because maybe one muscle group is just acting too dominant. And by the end of the race, she wasn't, you know, activated or firing everything. Just thinking outside the box. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, just to add to that, it was not hot. I mean, it was probably a little cold, actually, when we first started. So I don't think that had anything to do with it. Um, I mean, I know uh, my boyfriend, for example, cramps all the time when anything like a harder effort. I mean, debilitating cramps where he just can't even perform anymore. And it looked like this girl was the same. Um, and then I experienced it slightly just from not doing some stuff, you know, the past week. So, you know, I, I would love to know if it's something that, you know, maintaining strength training could help with or if it's something genetic or we just don't know um and just for just for you know i've got to hop off at 12 so i know this is a, probably a long discussion but i can always catch up with you later yeah we'll record this and we'll if anybody has to leave don't feel like you are going to be rude J jump in jump out i probably should have said that in the beginning but great question jennifer who's got the answer i think to your boyfriend's point um of if he's cramping from super hard efforts i would think that strength training would help with that but maybe it's hit maybe he's over utilizing a certain muscle group i feel like patrick wally knows the answer to this well, that's what i think like when i see the girl you know having to get off her bike on lap five of five lap five of five so you can tell she's getting a little bit crampy on lap four and then cramp five or lap five she has to get off her bike on a hill on a hill so that tells you how bad the cramps were so i'm like that had to have been like a muscular fatiguing something going on there it had to have been could be i mean it's really hard to to isolate cramping muscular cramping it could be it could be nutrition it could be hydration it could be you know sodium levels imbalanced it, it can be a number of things um it's so hard to isolate. That's why I think the group's a little quiet here, but you know, it could be related to, to over fatigue of a, of a muscle, but why is it fatiguing? You know, it's, it's really hard to isolate. So we, we, you know, as athletes, we just try to make sure we're, we're addressing all that stuff. We're, we're eating well, we're, we're hydrating and not just, you know, if, if, if it's longer duration and it's hot, it's not just water. We also have to have sodium electrolytes, et cetera. So, you know, we just try to do everything we can to, to do it. But once it does happen, it's <laughs> really hard to identify why. Patrick, I just clicked on your link. So I'm going to um, save that and read it. Yeah. It, it's just, um, it's just talking about a new study that just came out. Uh, an athlete of mine uh, shared this with me uh, and I didn't look too closely into it, but the gist was that if you have cramping issues, lifting heavy um, will decrease the likelihood of that happening. And it was a creatine 
blood marker or, or they, they tested urine and it was the, the markers were all, they were slightly different, even though their electrolyte balance was basically the same as those who had not lifted. Um, that's the gist of it. But yeah, I, I think lifting d- definitely will help prevent cramps, but it's really like everybody else is saying, it's really hard to pinpoint exactly what the root cause is at all times for cramps. Cause it's really situational and dependent on the person. Is easy cramping, I guess, uh, early in a hard session or late in a hard session? I mean, like my, when mine came on, and yeah. mine were not anything like what this girl experienced. It was later. And actually hers were later too, but mine were like an hour three of like even the endurance ride after um, I had a pretty big week. But again, it was a week of no strength, no band work, no stretching, no anything. And then I'm like, why are my hamstrings seizing up? I mean, out of nowhere. And they normally do not do that. I don't know. Could be a lot of factors. I know, right? Well, thank you guys. I've got to hop off. Thanks, Jennifer. Any closing questions or thoughts from people? This was awesome. I'm like, I had said that I was going to turn this into a guide of some sort. And I'm like, ah, I think I'm just going to point people to this. I've been like, there's so many ways to go about this. And even as Sam was bringing up, like, you know, if you're a time, he's making me think like if you're a time trialist or if you're like a classics rider, things are going to be different. And yeah, there's a lot going on. Any other topics people want to, I realize we're at an hour and that's kind of what we marked it as, but if there's any last burning questions or thoughts and we can do strength again, or we should, when, when people have topics, uh, definitely submit them. This was, this was awesome. I, I want to emphasize one, one point that James made, um, that we shouldn't overlook is, is, you know, with, as t- with time crunched athletes, where do, where do I find my, my time to get that, that, uh, lift in? Well, I'll just do it on my recovery day. Bad idea. Um, you know, we really need those days, um, set aside really for recovery. Um, and we don't, we don't want to add any more stress on the body. Uh, so, so keep, keep recovery days as recovery days, find, find your lift somewhere else. What is it? Well, how do you do that? What if, what if they're on, what is the answer to that? What if they're only riding eight to 10 hours, let's say, and they want to do road races or they need to get like a, you know, a two or three hour ride in once a week. Or do we recommend that they do like stuff that they can just do at home so they don't have to go to a gym or. So then, I mean, what you're, you're kind of asking is, does this athlete need a recovery day? So no, if you're, sorry, no, 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 no. They need a recovery day. Okay. Where do we fit the lifting in though on one of the other five? How do we make the time? That's what we're trying to do. And so what I'm, I'm kind of thinking in my head of like, you know what you need to do when you're hanging out at home, you need to get your butt on the floor and do them then. Or like you need to, but some people are going to be like, no, I have nine hours and I want to ride. I mean, do you just, okay. Okay. I think that's the biggest thing with like most cyclists. You have to like, I think if lifting is going to be a good thing, you got, you have to kind of want to do it. Like, I, I don't think it's like, if you have to like twist somebody's arm to lift weights, like what's the point? Like, like they don't like, they don't think it's going to make them a better cyclist. Then, you know, you can tell them all the time, go do it. Strong. <laughs> but if they don't want to make time with it. Or if they can say like, take one hour, instead of like riding 10 hours, ride nine and lift one hour a week. And like, in my opinion, like for most I mean, an, a- an extra hour, like noodling around on your bike or an hour in the gym, like, you know, that's where you put your time. I think 
you're better off like lifting for one hour than Josh Noggle. On, the, on that same point, I'm thinking like if you're in the base season <clears throat> and like here in the Northeast, it's a lot of time on Zwift. It's a lot of time inside. It's nice to just mix it up, do something different. And that's, it goes along with enjoying it, but uh, just something different than being on the bike. And I think that's how you just like frame it in your training is like, if you like to lift and you believe in it, then you're going to want to do it and you'll make time to do it. But if you like, you're like, Oh God, gotta go to the gym. Like I wouldn't go either. Like, <laughs> like I'd bag it and just go home like after work or whatever. Also, I mean, you know, we're, if you look at, at, at your, your athlete and, and you can see some, um, uh, some garbage time in there and encouraging them to be more efficient on their rides you know, now you have a domino of, of positive aspects going on. Hey, you, you're, let's cut this zone one from 30 to, to 20%. And we're going to, we'll get an extra hour there that way. You know, so you're building a little bit of positive momentum that way. Cool. Are we good? good. Thanks, thanks everybody. This is good. Now I'm like rethinking a lot of things and getting some good thoughts. I like this. Thanks, everybody, for participating, coming. Uh, we'll definitely post this. This was uh, super valuable, I think, and just a good – this will be a great podcast for a lot of people driving in a car. So um, if you have any other thoughts, feel free to email any of us, our first name at evoke.bike, and we will talk to you soon. See you. Adios. Bye.